Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Welcome to the Olive Podcast. I'm Janine, Olive's Deputy Editor and Podcast Host, and each episode I'll be catching up with chefs, cookery writers and characters from the food scene in Britain and beyond. Join us each week to expand your food knowledge as our guests share 10 things we need to know about the specialist subject. And do listen out for our effortless bonus episodes where they also reveal their top cooking cheats, hacks and shortcuts. I'm delighted to welcome Rahel Stephanie to the podcast. Rahel is a chef and founder of plant-based supper club Spoons, which she began in 2019 and is now so popular it regularly sells out in minutes. Rahel aims to use a supper club and her food writing and TV appearances to put authentic Indonesian cooking firmly on the map and share the cuisine of her heritage with a wider audience. Welcome, Rahel. How are you? Hey, thank you so much for having me. That was a really kind introduction. (laughs) But it's all true. Thank you for coming down to the studio. My pleasure. um, And coming to chat to us about Indonesian food and cooking today. Could you start by telling us a bit about your journey in food and how you came to set up the supper club? Absolutely. So I started Spoons, as you mentioned earlier, just in 2019 as a supper club to share lesser known Indonesian dishes with friends. But I would say that my mission, it's evolved so much more than beyond just a tasty menu, especially because since when I moved here a little over 10 years ago, I noticed there was a widespread diluted and misrepresented uh, conception of Indonesian cuisine. So I really strive to put authentic Indonesian flavors on the map and on the Western map. And specifically through my practice, I really try to reclaim and celebrate those beautiful flavors of my heritage. Yeah, amazing. Well, we're going to go through, um, you've sent me like 10 things that you want to highlight. And there's loads of detail in there and there's loads of incredible, quite mind-blown information as well. Um, Let's dive in with a bit of geography, because Indonesia is made up of over 17,000 islands and over 300 ethnicities. That's that's mad figures, isn't it? It's insane. I think a lot of people don't realise just the vastness of that country itself. Um, A lot of people think it's just, you know, I don't know, some little tiny tropical island (laughs) in the southeast (laughs) of Asia. Often... I've had more than it should happen. People come up to me and ask me, where are you from? And I would be like, Indonesia. And they would respond, oh, is that in Bali? (laughs) It's insane. And and, I mean, it must put like quite a big spin on the diversity of the the cuisine as well, having all of those different influences. Absolutely. Just being such a vast 
country with all these islands and ethnicities and languages, that diversity is so naturally reflected in the country's cuisine and not just the cuisine, you know, our culture and our heritage, arts, music, everything. It's mind blowing. Yeah. And you said that you wanted to um, clear up like some misconceptions about (laughs) Indonesian food and a big one is satay, which people get wrong quite a lot. Um, Often thinking of it as the peanutty sauce that goes with satay. Exactly. That's a common misconception for sure, yeah. equating that to just a peanut sauce. Um, it really is something that baffled me when I first moved here. <laughs> because in Indonesia, it refers to over 200 different skewered dishes. Wow. And yet in the high street in the UK, you'd find it incarnated as... Uh, sate sauce, quite impossibly, because you can't skewer a liquid. Yeah. <laughs> you can't skewer <laughs> a sauce. A sate rice box, a sate If you can skewer a sauce, you're making it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. So, yeah, I highly encourage all cooking enthusiasts to just, you know, get out there and explore the different varieties of skewers you can find in the Indonesian yeah. varieties. What kind of skewers would you get? What would be like some of your Oh, favorites? my God. Where do I even start? You've got the beautiful sate marangi, which is... A skewer dish traditionally made out of beef, marinated in a bunch of different spices like mm-hmm. coriander, um, cumin, uh, sweet soy sauce, etc. So it gives us really, it unlocks this beautiful, deep, earthy, sweet flavor. Wow. And then it's showered in this beautiful ketchup mani sambal, which is a sweet soy sauce native mm-hmm. to Indonesia. And it's just such a gorgeous, you know, blend of all these different flavors. Um, yeah. And would that like traditionally be cooked over an open flame? Absolutely. And are these the sort of things that you'd see in, I guess, in street food stores where you'd have lots and lots of them? Yeah, absolutely. The heroes of the Indonesian streets. So when you go back, (laughs) do you have favorite places that you go to to... Oh, so many, but there's only so many I can visit every time I go back. Um, I always have like an on-running list of 40 on my to-do list or something like that. that I, I strive to just like complete over a period of something impossible, like six yeah. days. Let's talk about sambals as well, because again, there's many, many of those that we would probably think of the kind of spicy red chili sambal exactly, that we, you know, quite exactly. generic. Yeah, just like satay, it's been counted that we have over 200 different kinds of sambals, and a lot of which... Wow aren't made out of red chili peppers, as colorful as our cuisine, you know. Um, We have everything from the West Sumatran green chili sambal to the beautiful raw and fragrant Balinese sambal. Um, It just illustrates how much we love our spice. (laughs) It's a very, it's a staple to a lot of Indonesian cuisine. And a lot would say that an Indonesian meal isn't complete with a side of sambal. Yeah. Do you feature quite a lot of those at your supper club when you... I would say... Most times, if not always. There'll always be a different one on there for people <laughs> to try. For sure, for sure. Um, tempeh is something else that's become quite trendy recently. I've certainly seen it cropping up in a lot more recipes. Absolutely. But I had no idea that it had Indonesian origins. This is the thing. And most people I encounter, most non-Indonesian people I encounter here in the UK don't realise its ancient Indonesian beginnings, let alone its very humble beginnings. Um, Over here, you know, as you've mentioned, it's grown in popularity as this superfood or a vegan meat substitute. It's become really trendy. But an important context often overlooked is that it was often eaten by people who weren't able to afford meat as a source of protein. Its creation out of this traditional zero-waste culture was more out of necessity than out of choice. And I think those historical contexts are really important to be aware of. Yeah. 
How do you, how do you use tempeh in your, in your cooking? Oh my god, so many different ways. I love frying tempeh cubes nice. and then throwing them in a stir fry with lots of herbs and spices. One of my favorite easy dishes called the orak tempeh, which translates roughly into just stir fry tempeh. Yeah. But you know, you would throw in some lemongrass, some kaffir lime leaves, some ketchup manis, the sweet Indonesian soy sauce. Yeah. Sometimes maybe coriander powder as well. But the possibilities are honestly endless because it's such a great foundation to so many marinades. It absorbs flavors so beautifully. Yeah. And you get that different texture between the deep fried outer Absolutely. and the sort of And when and it's fried or even just roasted, it unlocks this really gorgeous, nutty kind of earthy tastes and aromas. Yeah, yeah. love that. So on to rice, and you say there's a saying in Indonesia, if you haven't eaten rice, you haven't eaten a meal. It's something I've heard quite a lot from different Southeast Asian and Absolutely. East Asian um, we contributors to the podcast. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, rice is, is so, so important, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. And we have it throughout the day, everything from breakfast to lunch to dinner. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's very integral to a lot of our cuisine. Uh, and I guess this is due in part to, because a couple of decades ago, the government established this nationwide campaign called Bras Isasi, which directly translates to rice-ification. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess this is because Indonesia is one of the world's largest producers of rice. Oh, they wow, really yeah. tried to encourage that consumption of rice yeah. in the 90s, which I guess carry is has been carried over to the present day as rice is a very integral part of our daily staple yeah. diet. But What's what style of rice would you is normally produced in Indonesia? Jasmine rice is the most common, Jasmine, I would say. Okay, yeah, lovely. so fragrant, yeah. so beautiful. It really just hits different. I love that. <laughs> um, and another thing that Indonesia produces and uses in abundance is coconuts. Tell yes. us a bit about them and how they're used. Yes, so we are one of the world's largest producers of coconuts as well, and. We really use pretty much the whole coconut in all of its lifespan, which I find really beautiful. Everything from, you know, the young coconut flesh and the young coconut water that you would just have as a beautiful, refreshing drink uh. to the older coconut flesh, which you would grate and then steam and then throw in some spice grated um a spice grated coconut salad dressing yeah. or steamed and then used in some steamed desserts or baked desserts. And then you would have the coconut milk and the coconut cream and loads of different kinds of savory and sweet dishes like your curries, your baked cake, steamed cakes, your refreshing shaved ice desserts. <laughs> we just love our coconut. <laughs> I love that. I think we're a bit lucky in this country to um, and how we use coconut, yeah. you know, because we're We've got into using coconut milk in cans, but the fact that we can get a hold of fresh coconuts and you can shave it and you can exactly. kind of grate it. And it is, yeah, exactly. So I tend to just get some frozen grated coconut in oh, my okay. local Asian grocery store. Um, otherwise, a good way to substitute that is to just get your desiccated coconut that's dry and then re-steam those yeah, to rehydrate those to and bring then it use up them. Again. Mm -hmm. But exactly. frozen grated coconuts are great, Sharon. They're fantastic. And I keep a stash in my freezer all the time top tip. <laughs> now some spices that are key to Indonesia. I didn't know this either. Oh, nutmeg and cloves. Yeah, a lot of people aren't aware of this and genuinely even myself until yeah. maybe the past 10 years or so. Um, nutmeg and cloves. Yeah, it. 
originated from Indonesia, um, specifically from the Maluku Islands, also known as the Spice Islands. Um, It's located in the eastern part of the country, and it was the only source of cloves up till the 18th century. The Dutch East India Company, they monopolized the clove trade from that region during the colonial era. But today it still remains one of the largest producers in the world. And is that like a a flavor profile that's that very prevalent in Indonesian cooking. It is it in is, lots of Indonesian yeah. dishes, for sure. But yeah, of, of course, Indonesian dishes is very, very wide and yeah, very, very diverse. But it yeah. is quite present in lots of our sweet and savory dishes. It's like, interesting because it's it, those two um, spices are used a lot in um, British cookery Exactly, as well. which is why I guess it gets quite <laughs> overlooked, you know, in terms yeah. of the origins itself. You wouldn't necessarily associate that directly with Southeast no, Asian all, cuisine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I love it. Um, next, we're going to talk about... Bumbu, is that the right yes, pronunciation? Right. Which is a spice paste and a really key ingredient in Indonesian cooking. Tell us about bumbu. So bumbu is probably what I would consider to be the soul of Indonesian cooking. Yeah. Without bumbu, there is no Indonesian cuisine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's an important component of all of the dishes and it can be considered the foundation to a lot of the dishes. It's a blend of spices, herbs, aromatics wow. that's blended or pounded into a spice paste or a seasoning mixture. Um, it typically includes lots of different ingredients like shallots, garlic, chili, lemongrass. Um, it varies from region to region and dish to dish. Yeah. But truly that spice paste, the foundation of that spice paste, it, what unlocks the complexity in a lot of Indonesian dishes that yeah. it's so well known for. Wow. And and you mentioned that, you know, it it's the base of um, rendang satay, nasi exactly. goreng, which, which we kind of... We, I've heard of, a lot of people would have heard of. Of course. Tell us some other dishes that we may not know about that are that you would say are the, the little linchpins of Indonesian cooking. Oh my God, let me have a little think. Where do I even start? Um, gule is probably a very, very popular West Sumatran dish from yeah. Padang. Um, it's basically a very coconutty, creamy curry, and we would serve it with lots of different kind of ingredients. It can be a vegetable gule, it can be a beef gule, it can okay. be a lamb gule, it can even be a tofu or a tempeh gule. It's basically um, a label for a kind of Padangnese um, curry. Nice. Um, another dish that is very classically Indonesian and found amongst most, I guess, Indonesian dining tables is the sambal tomat, which is a beautiful caramelized tomato spicy relish that you can serve with anything. I've been eating this sambal from a very young age. My mom, I've trained young with the spicy. (laughs) (laughs) My mom would just always keep a portion or a stash of the sambal in the fridge and we would serve it with pretty much anything, be it fried fish, just a fried egg, just with some rice when you're feeling, you know, you know how much we love our rice. (laughs) Because you said... uh, I think I read that you said, you know, when you first moved here, you couldn't find Indonesian food. It just hasn't traveled in Very that way. Very rarely. That's, yeah, yeah wh- I guess we just haven't... Indonesians just probably hasn't migrated as much as other people yeah. from other East and Southeast Asian cultures. And thus we haven't established, you know, ourselves as a cuisine as much. Do you th- do like as that? a restaurant cuisine, yes. as opposed to if you went to someone's house, they'd probably be cooking. Exactly, you know? yeah. exactly. Yeah. But hop over to, I guess, the Netherlands, who was, you know, a colonial ruler yeah. of Indonesia, and you can find it everywhere. I know, because I was at college years ago in Amsterdam, and I remember... Um, 
Indonesian restaurants were great because we would get this amazing kind of rice table sharing meal with like all friends. We'd all go out and have that. Absolutely. It was was such good value for, for, you know, if you were going out and eating together. Yeah, it's the best. And I'm just amazed that that didn't transfer translate to here. It blew my mind when I first moved here because when I first moved here over 10 years ago that was my first time in the UK as well and you know coming from Indonesia knowing my country's cuisine and how vast it is and how beautiful it is just realizing it doesn't it barely has any kind of a presence yeah. <laughs> it was mind-blowing. Well, I mean, you're here now to, uh, <laughs> to bring I know. it. <laughs> it's getting somewhere. It's getting somewhere. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about balance because this is something that goes through other cuisines as well. Absolutely. Um, talk, tell us about the five basic tastes. So the five basic tastes would be sweet, sour, salty, and umami, as well as bitter. Yeah. Um, if not found within the same dish itself, which often a lot of dishes strive to balance with, you would find this across a spread in an Indonesian right. uh, dining experience. Yeah. So, for example, if you have something sweet and creamy from like the Javanese guduk, which is a slow cooked, uh, slow cooked jackfruit stew then you would have something sour from like a sambal or a relish Mm. or something that's quite um, strong in tamarind or something similar to tamarind that we have is called the asam kandis that is really quite tangy and then you would have something bitter from the candle nuts as well in indonesian cuisine Um, something umami often coming from uh, often coming from the shrimp pastes or something with a mushroom base it's a really beautiful complex variety of flavors yeah. that you would experience through it's a really Indonesian kind of cooking. mindful way of eating Absolutely. as well isn't it you're going to talk a bit about how communal dining is so important to Indonesian culture so can you speak a bit about that and maybe take us through you know if you were at home and you were sort of dining with friends or with family how, how the meal would play out Sure, of course. So we have a concept called makantanga, which directly translates to eating in the middle basically to represent or illustrate that idea of having a spread of dishes laid across the dining table and it would be served family style, you know. What I guess would be popularly known today as small plate dining. (laughs) (laughs) Again, you started it. (laughs) Um, And we would have, you know, that spread that would represent those flavor profiles we just spoke about a second ago. Um, And a lot of which would be shared by, you know, a family or a group of friends around the dining table. And that's what I mean when I say a lot of Indonesian, uh, a lot of Indonesian culture towards eating or food is more communal rather than ceremonial. Not to say that we don't have any ceremonial food practices, but a lot of which tend towards more of the communal side of things. And as far as kind of dishes, would would all the dishes be served at once or would there be courses or would there be... It's very rare traditionally to find um, dining in courses, I would say. A lot of it would be shared at once. In fact, it's actually quite... The concept of dessert is actually quite... um, rare in our culture as well the sweets the sweet snacks the what we would find as desserts today is eaten more as a snack or whenever it is you want to (laughs) rather than after a savory it would just be like spread out throughout the day kind of eating exactly exactly that being said when i'm doing my pop-ups here i always serve dessert because i mean i'm a sweet tooth personally so i always make time for dessert yeah amazing (laughs) so much fascinating stuff there and what um what have you got coming up this year because it's 
So I've got lots of pop-ups okay. and supper clubs to come. Great. Um, going back to Indonesia in June for the Ubud Food Festival in Bali, which will yeah. be pretty exciting. Hopefully another pop-up or two there. Also working on a recipe zine, which oh, is pretty exciting. Cool. Uh, which is hopefully due to come out later this summer. Yeah. And has anybody been asking you to open a restaurant, a permanent, permanent restaurant? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like since the dawn of when I started yeah, cooking, I, I would <laughs> start posting stuff on Instagram and everyone's always like, open a restaurant. And I'd be like, yeah, because it's so easy and I have all the money in the world yeah. to open a restaurant, know, which is actually where a friend of mine introduced me to the idea of supper clubs, yeah. essentially ticketed dinner, din- ticketed dinner parties. And, and how, how many supper clubs are you planning to do this year? I, I try to average it as about maybe once every four to six weeks. Okay, yeah. that's great. Wow, that's, that's really frequent. Yeah, lots so. of opportunities to come through. And how can people find out about the supper clubs and keep up with everything that you're doing? The best would be through Instagram. Okay. And my profile is at Eat With Spoons yeah. with a numerical double zero. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> it's spoons with a zero zero exactly. in the middle. <laughs> or as well as my newsletter subscription, which you can find in the Instagram link in bio. That's great. Well, thank you so much for coming to chat to us my today. Pleasure. It's been absolutely it so fascinating. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for listening to the Olive Podcast. For recipes and more information, head to olivemagazine.com. Do remember to listen out for our effortless bonus episodes where our guests reveal their best cooking cheats, hacks and shortcuts. And don't forget to subscribe at iTunes, Acast, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.